And after all of that, we need to talk about the book of Judges, and it's a hard book to talk about. It's a telling book. Don't get me wrong. If you read it this week, you, you know what I'm talking about. You're supposed to have read it this week, and you have two weeks to read Ruth, so that's easy. That's easy done. But don't get me wrong. It's an exciting, fascinating, chilling book. You could easily make a dozen blockbuster hits out of this, this, this book. However, it's awful. It's horrible stuff going on there. It's rather an example. We, uh, we might be entertained by watching one of the, uh, the diehard movies, you know, and seeing a, the hero go through all of that and go, well, that was quite entertaining. But you'd hate to live through it. Judges is a book that you might be entertained by, but two things bother you. One, you wouldn't want to live through it. And the second is, why is that in the Bible? Because shiny, happy Christian people carry this book about with them. And here's a book about rape and kidnapping and murder and abuse of a corpse and on and on and on. And those of you that didn't read it now wish you did. Uh, you're there going, I didn't know it was quite that interesting. You know, you got blown out by Leviticus and had just given up on the thing. But no, Judges is there. The key to why all of this went so terribly wrong is in the last verse. The last verse. If they'd put that in the forward, then we would have gone, okay, got it. What does the last verse say? In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. That's actually... Um, yeah, everyone did what they seemed right and fair to them. No king. Who's in charge? Nobody's in charge. We do what we want to. Please understand what this means. There are those of you that might think, well, you know, we ought to decide for ourselves. What? Nah, uh, be careful. Because if you decide for yourself, you're giving other people permission to decide for themselves. And in some places I've lived before, one teen shot another teen because they wanted their shoes. I don't know how many times I heard that somebody was shot over a jacket that they wanted. How about for Christians? The Rwanda slaughter took place in a nation where 90% of the people said they were Christian. And yet they hacked to death over a million people with machetes because they were in the wrong family. They, it seemed right to them, made sense to them. Well, what about in America with the lynchings that took place often with crosses alight beside them and people waving Bibles in the air? Seemed right, and it wasn't. People think they have a right to take your money, take your freedom away because they have the power to and they know more than you. How does that make you feel? In Colorado, one particular party got control of all of the branches of government and in the first month made 300 laws. Now, I don't care what party it is. That's insane. We don't do that. We shouldn't do it, but it seemed right to them. And even when a couple of them lost their, their jobs because of it and got kicked out of office, they said, we'd do it again. It was the right thing to do. Hang on. Whenever there's no king and everybody gets to decide what's right, you end up with chapter 19 of Judges, one of the most horrific chapters in the entire Bible. In fact, I can't think of a worse one. You have a man who's supposed to be a man of God, but he's so awful, his secondary wife, called a concubine, it's, it's a lot hard, I don't want to explain it. She runs away home to dad. He decides after a while, oh, I'm just going to go get her. Not because he loves her, 
it becomes painfully obvious he didn't love any woman. But he goes back to her dad, wines and dines. The dad gets her back. And yet, when he's in a sign of trouble, he throws her out to be raped to death. And the next morning, when he walks out and she's laying there, kicks her and says, get up and make something for me to eat. Really? A man of God? Well, I don't think God would have claimed him at that point. There's a corpse is abused, a civil war breaks out, and it's horrible. You also see something else if you paid attention when you're reading Judges. And that is a whole lot of stuff that you thought happened in Joshua was more military language than actual history. Because it'll say, and they wipe these people out, and then Judges, they're living right there. They, the conquest didn't wipe the people out. They didn't kill every man, woman, boy, and girl, and all the animals too. No, they're, they're right there. And the people of Israel were saying, you know something, we kind of like what they do. We're going to adopt their way of doing things. We're going to pick up their music, their gods, their way of, 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 of sex and family and the like. And so God does something rather, rather shocking in that male-oriented society. He raised up Deborah, a woman, to judge Israel. And you know, God did it on purpose. Maybe it's a sign that one of these days men will not be able to treat women as unequal. Maybe that one of these days there, are, there will come his son who will make a different world where there is no more male and female and Jew and Greek and we're all together. But even then, oh, um, it, by the way, same story. Who kills the great enemy general that's been terrorizing Israel? Another woman. You know God did it on purpose. He does it twice in the same story. Trying to show him something. And then in chapter 9, Abimelech, called a reckless scoundrel, hires reckless scoundrels, thugs, who become his followers. That's what the scripture says. And then he goes about, and first thing he does is finds all of his brothers and kills them. A word about the numbers in scripture, just real quick, and we'll, we'll visit this again. It says, killed 70 of his brothers. And you're thinking, wow, that's a big family. When the scripture uses a word like seven, it means all of them, perfect, just in complete amount. When it multiplies it, it means seriously, really, all of them. It doesn't necessarily mean the, num the number. For, have you noticed as you've been reading so far how many things happen in a span of 40 years? Because 40 years just meant to them a generation, a length of time. It doesn't necessarily mean 40 years. There are other ones like that in Scripture. They use numbers in a different way. So do we. Are you aware that moment, uh, I'll see you in a moment or a moment of time is an actual measure of time? There's a certain second point digital number for a moment, but we don't use it that way. Every, every society uses numbers different. So when it says 70, I doubt that he had 70 brothers. What it means is he killed them all. And he was horrible and he was brutish. And yet the people would not recognize his evil and tried to make him king. Why? Because he's our guy. If he's our guy, he can do whatever he wants to. You see that in politics all the time. This guy does it. Everybody, ah, that's horrible. This guy does it. And they say, no, no, that's fine. He's our guy. No, you can't do that. No, God is our king, not people. And Abimelech was a thug. But same thing happens next story. Jephthah the Gileadite, 
who is such a stupid person, he ends up promising to kill his own daughter. And there's no way to pretty up that story. And I've had people read that and say, why did God have, and God had nothing to do with this. This was his decision. He's the one who made the stupid thing. God had nothing, no part in this. He was also, it said he hired thugs to terrorize his own people. But the people said that's all right because he's our thug. What a horrible mess. Then you got Samson. He's handsome. He's clever. He's muscular. He's an immensely strong fellow, but he has a great serious weakness for pretty women. And God even used him. He did what Samson did, what was right, seemed right to him. But it was awful. And it ended in death. Remember something else about this book. The... um, It wasn't written for hundreds of years after the event. They could have wiped these stories out. They could have said, and Samson was a really good guy. He went to church a lot, but they didn't. They told the story. They could have left out the Jephthah horror or the cutting up of the corpse and the civil war among the Jews because of it, but they didn't. Why? Because we needed to remember What happens when everybody does what is right in your own eyes and you don't have a king? You don't have the right king. Judges 18 and 1 says it again. In those days, Israel had no king. Now, by the way, that shows you once again, it was written long after the event because it has to explain it. Now, they didn't have a king back then to stop this. They didn't have a king back then to to, to set things right. But it also has another meaning, that God was not their king either. Every person was their own authority. And you know something? That's exactly what the devil promised Adam and Eve. You do what I want you to do, you get to decide what's right and wrong. That's the very thing. They're they're in paradise, and the devil says, I've got something better for you. You can be like God. Make your own decisions. What happens when you do? Book of Judges. So the Israelites did not hide the story. They passed it on to the children. In chapter 21, after the Civil War, the men decide, you know what would solve the problem here is if the Benjamin tribe had more women, but we're not going to let them have ours because we're angry at them over the war thing, so we're going to help them kidnap other women from other tribes and force them into sexual slavery. That's what happens. If there is no God. Whenever I talk to my atheist friends, and, I, and they're, they're friends, we're not enemies. I'll say, I read the book of Judges, and I look and say, welcome to your world. And they'll say, no, no, the community will gather and decide it. And I'll say, Do you, you are aware that Hitler was voted in by the vast majority of his people. It was not a minority movement. The community decided. Communities aren't good at this. We need an outside source of morality. We need a God, a standard. I'll never forget, I was called by Ohio State and asked if I would branch out and teach in another class. They wanted me to teach one on ethics, medical ethics. And I said, sure, I can do that, but be aware I'm going to bring in God. And they said, well, you can't do that. And I said, well, I can't teach the class. They called back three or four times, doubling the salary. And they were already starting really good. It's a state school. They have a football program that generates money, so they have the money. 
And they kept going. And I kept wondering, I, I even began to wonder, what's my tipping point here? <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, thank God uh, they quit calling before we reached it, whatever it is. And I told my wife, at the time, we could have really used the money. We were hurting. I said, I, I, I can't do this. Because if it's just community, look at what communities decide. Here's a good idea. Let's kill that community. No, it's got to be something more. You know what seems right to God? Jesus. Jesus seemed, that looks right to God. And then he says, you do that. You be like him. You treat women like him. You treat other people like him. You treat your enemies like Jesus treats his enemies. You act like this. Now, does that seem to make sense? No, no, I'll grant you. It doesn't seem to make sense. But a whole lot of what God tells you to do and asks you to do doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And if you don't believe that, read the book of Judges and I'll, well, I'll tell you one of the stories. Gideon. I love Gideon. I love the story of Gideon because I love Westerns and Gideon is a Western. I know, you don't, it didn't take place in West Israel. No, it's a Western. Westerns are a motif, a theme. As most of your, your police dramas are Westerns. They're just redone and put in the modern. It's amazing how many times the Western drama motif comes. And this is the first one, actually. You have uh, bad guys have come to town, the Amalekites, Midianites, bad people. And they've taken over the town. Now, the town people are very meek. They're very, they're very frightened. And they just, uh, they're, they're told by the Amalekites, give up all your weapons. And so they do. They think, well, now they'll treat us nice because we don't have any weapons. That's never worked. <laughs> um, and, and now they're in trouble. Well, believe me, I, uh, British police, we, my wife and I were holed up in our uh, flat above a street during a riot once. Because, and underneath, they're kicking open shop doors and, and, and the like. And the police weren't able to stop it. They don't have guns. What are they supposed to do? You know, they're running around going, very naughty. And that doesn't really stop things. <laughs> and Cammie said, what are we going to do if they kick in our door? And I said, well, I don't know about you, but I want to jump on your back and say, I found a foreigner. You know, and... Um, <laughs> The woman refuses to be comforted. She just refuses to be comforted. Anyway. You know, she knows where I sleep and I'm still alive. That's just an amazing thing. It really is. But think of Shane or think of the Magnificent Seven. What do you do when the bad guys have taken over town? You go find a hero. You need a hero. And it might be like Shane, the great gunfighter. It might be like the Magnificent Seven. Some thugs, but they're your thugs. There are some female versions of the Western as well, by the way, like Dangerous Minds, the movie, or uh, the series on the movie, Christie. That's a Western. Uh, it really is. It's, just, it's less violent, but it's still a Western. The Bible is full of these. The bad guys have taken over the town. Midianites are really running the show. So now what happens? The Israelites are hiding because every time they get something, the bad guys take it away. So where are you going to find your, your hero? Well, just like all Westerns, the townspeople come to one guy and say, would you be our hero? And he's going, no, what have you done for me recently? I have no interest in helping you. And so the reluctant hero, he says, you didn't do anything for me. You don't like me. Now you want to come for me? You want, no, I'm not going to do it. And the people assume that rejection is complete. There will be no hero. But then God decides to go talk to a hero. And he finds the hero threshing wheat in a pit. 
Now that's hilarious, but you don't really get it because the last time you threshed wheat was weeks ago. The, you thresh wheat outside because it's very dirty, very dirty to do this. And you have to knock it out of its little casing and get the kernel out of it and separate the two. And so you're throwing it up in the air and it's dusty and you beat it again and you throw it up in the air until all the chaff is blown away and you just have the kernels of wheat. But he's doing it inside in a pit. Why? He would encoded, choking, coughing. Why? Because he's afraid. And God goes and, it's hilarious, God goes, stands in front of him and goes, Hail, mighty warrior. All right, that's just sarcastic. Um, that's, that's just, it's just an amazing scene right there. And Gideon is not impressed by this at all. If you think that that would rock Gideon back on his heels and the like, he isn't. Whenever the guy goes, I'm God, and he goes, well, what have you done for us recently? I'm not impressed by you. Gideon goes right back at God's face, and God doesn't turn him into a turnip or anything. God, God, um, God enjoys the engagement. Let's go with this. Let's go with this. And so whenever he says, no, no, I want you to save Israel, and he goes further, and he says, go in the strength you already have. Now, wait a minute. You gave the 80-year-old Moses a stick, what am I going to get? No, you've already got everything you need. Go free Israel. <laughs> what? That's kind of like looking at us and saying, or 12 guys, 11 at the time, a little disoriented, standing around on top of a mountain in Jerusalem going, what are we doing here again? And Jesus goes, go into all of the world. What? We haven't had a job for three years. We, we don't have any, what, how, he's gone. And the angels look at him and say, what are you standing around for? Get moving. Okay. God does this. He'll look at you and say, you've already got enough strength. Go. Do it. Well, Gideon is still not impressed. He even says in Gideon 6, verse 15, based, the, the, the equivalent of, why are you picking on me? I'm not important. I'm small. I'm scrawny. I'm the least of my family, and my family's not impressive. And I think I've got a cold. You know, it's just, he's just, I'm just, I'm, no, sorry, it's a bad week for me, really. It really is. It's a bad week. I've got things, the boss is, is on my neck and got all this threshing to do. Um, and so the angel then has a strange idiom in, ch in chapter 6, verse 16. Uh, it basically means, don't worry, I'm with you, this is going to be easy. To knock them all down is going to be easy as knocking one guy down. Gideon's still unsure about all of this. So he decides, maybe, maybe I'm going about this the wrong way. So he says, um, he, he, he thinks maybe God is hungry. Uh, don't know how long he's, the trip's been. So he says, you wait right there, and I'll, I'll make you some goat soup, which I don't know about you, but I'm in. You know, goat soup, I'll wait. You know, let's see how this works. Goat soup and some bread. So he says, and that's very funny to me, because he tells God, stay right there. Don't go anywhere while I go make this. And God goes, okay. That's wonderful. You got to love God. Those of you that don't think God's approachable, read this. So, and I, I love the next line too, but even though I know I'm misreading it, because Gideon goes and prepares a goat for the sacrifice. And I know what that means, but I, I, I just keep getting this picture of me putting... You know, he's putting his horn on his goat and saying, goat, you know, you and I have been along for a long time. And, you know, getting him ready for what, and I know that that's not what it means, but I still get that picture in my head. My wife won't let me tell her these pictures anymore. Um, and 
so he makes the goat soup. He comes. God evidently is not a fan of the cooking. He pours out the soup. He throws the bread down, sets everything on fire. Gideon goes, okay, fair enough. Um, what do I got to do? Gideon then builds an altar real quick and calls it God is peaceful. <laughs> That's kind of hopeful at this stage, don't you think? God goes, no, if you're going to build an altar, first of all, you need to tear one down. There's one to Baal outside of town. I need you to go tear that down. Ooh. Really? So Gideon did it at night. <laughs> Snuck up on it. <laughs> Quietly took it apart. Then went and hid in his dad's tent. Everybody's running around saying, who did it? CSI Israel. You know, they, who, who did this? And they, they go to the dad and they say, we think Gideon did it. Now, I have no idea why they thought he did it because he didn't seem to be likely. But the dad basically says, well, he might have, but who cares? But you can't come in the tent. Go away. I'm busy. And so they, they, they're very angry. Gideon is so confused. And the movie cuts away here in, uh, at verse 33 through 35 to the bad guys massing outside of town, just like it does in all Westerns. They're getting ready. Then we cut back in. Uh, Gideon has finally started to call some guys together saying, we have to, we're going to fight now. We're going to fight. And so that's going well. It's, they're, they're, some people are gathering. But Gideon is still not really sure about this God person. So he decides to run some science past God. He would have made a great scientist. He said, we're going to do a little experiment to make sure you're really God. Go lay out some fleeces of some sheep. And, and now um, when the dew hits the grass, if, if the fleeces are dry, then we know that you're God. And so God does that. And everything is all wet except for the fleeces, which is amazing. Gideon, though, being a good scientist, knows he needs to run the experiment again, but backwards. So he says, we're going to lay them out again. Now I want the ground to be dry, but the fleece to be all soggy, and God does that. And you can almost see Gideon going, because that's not the, what he wanted. That was not the result he wanted at this point. But he gets it. So he gathers his men together, 32,000 men. Now that sounds like a lot of guys, but please remember, the only way to really, your guys to get the other guy, was to get the other guy and hit him before he hit you. It was just, you know, run into Jim, you know, that sort of thing. You know, you know kick Harry. That's all you got. You don't, you don't have any long-distance weapons at all. This is, you need about a four-to-one ratio if you're going to overthrow somebody. And have that. A lot more Amalekites and Midianites. 32,000. So he's got them all together. God's reviewing the troops. <laughs> and goes up to Gideon and goes, you know what I'm thinking? And I'm, you know, Gideon in his head's thinking, yeah, we don't have enough guys. God's going, you got way too many guys. Tell everybody if they'd rather go home, they uh, raise their hand. <laughs> 22,000, go home. And you know the other 10,000 are standing there going, wait, what? I, I was thinking, what did he say? Uh, <laughs> I missed that. I was, I was thinking about goats. And, uh, and so God looks down at the, you know, 10,000 and goes, well, now we've got a problem. Gideon's going, yes, we do. God says, we still have way too many people. So we're going to sort out our military men by how they drink water at a creek. The Marines still do this. No, they don't. This is amazing. <laughs> Only 300 guys drink right. So he sends 9,700 more home. There are only 300 guys standing there going, what, 
what? I, I drank this way. What, what does that mean? And the Bible, in fact, whenever it says that they stayed, the word used there in, in Hebrew indicates compulsion. In other words, he wouldn't let them go because I would have gone. I would have said, you know something in that first group? I was just thinking, I'm a little scared too. No, you, you stay. How are we going to do this? God says, no problem. We're going to arm you. Oh, good. Like mighty thrusting pulsar angel. No. Uh, trumpets and torches. And pots and pots. And Gideon's going, I really need some more help here, God. And God goes, okay, go spy on the camp tonight. And this again, it's hilarious. Gideon goes in. He's listening to some Midianites around a campfire. One guy says to the other guy, how'd you sleep last night? He wasn't Scottish. I, I don't know how to do Amalekite. Um, <laughs> and the other guy goes, I had terrible, I had nightmares all night, all night long. I dreamed about this guy named Gideon. And that uh, he came out of nowhere and he threshed us like wheat. All right, that's funny. That's a God joke. And you know Gideon's in the bush going, oh, seriously. <sighs> so they go up. God goes, hey, he goes to God, how do we do this now? We got our torches, we got our trumpets, we got our pot. God tells him how to do it. And he goes, now spread out. Because that's what you want to do with 300 guys against tens of thousands. is spread out. <laughs> So they spread out. But you know the story. If you read the book, they put the torches in, in the, the pot. They blow horns like, oh, da, 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 and they break the pots, and all torches are lit up all around, and people go, oh, no, we're surrounded, and they start killing each other. Why? Because unlike the movies, at night, it's dark. <laughs> and you're not wearing uniforms. So you're just tearing out of your tent with a sword, and you're hearing, we're under attack, and... and you're killing each other at this stage. After a while, they, they panic and are all starting to run. And for the first time in all of Scripture, we actually get, in the first Western, 724, head them off at the pass. Seriously. God goes, see how they're running? If you go around this way, you can beat them to the pass. It's a Western. And it doesn't make sense unless you realize, first of all, God likes us, doesn't mind playing with us, doesn't mind teasing with us, doesn't mind getting sarcastic with us. He, want, he says, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Let's do this together. Because if you do it on your own, you're going to end up in a threshing pet. And you're going to end up with a dead woman. But if you do it with him, you don't even need a sword. You just need to pay attention and let God do it. Comes a time when faith is all you've got. You may not feel like you're ready for this go into all the world business. You may not feel like you're ready to take on the challenges that God has placed in your life. And I know many of you, most of you, have amazing challenges in your life right now. But do you have a king? If you've got your king, you've got all you need. Without a king, nothing else will get you where you need to be. The secret is to pick the right king.
And he's got to be off-site, not human. You've got to pick the Lord. Those who do can be assured. Mark, if you'll come forward and lead us in our last song. Can be assured we picked right and victory will be ours. Let's stand and sing of our faith.